Man, I tell you what, I woke up, I saw the snow this morning, and I was like, felt like a little kid again. I'm like, I'm wearing red today. I don't know if it's a week early or not, but I don't care. So there we go. Somebody's, I see a mixture of colors in here, so that's good. It's all good. So uh, yeah, no, I was excited. I'm, I'm like a, I remember when I was a kid and I used to play football and uh, and I would get up and there'd be like a game. There's always, like, you know, as a kid, of course, or in the afternoon, right after school. So it's like, you gotta go all, the, all day long and you got to wait for game time, you know, and all day long, that's all I could think about was game time, you know. And so I was super excited about it. So I don't know if I'm as super excited about uh, going sledding today. There's maybe not, not enough padding there yet, but uh, um, that's okay. So, uh, but I'm excited for the snow. And uh, I know not everybody is as much. And I just want you to know that that's okay too. I'll pray for you. <laughs> You'll pray for me. Yeah, let's see who wins. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. God wins. God wins. So, yep. Hey, we're in a mini series on biblical stewardship. And uh, last week, um, uh, we began to see how the Lord uses faith filled obedience to cultivate wisdom in our lives regarding biblical stewardship. And so, very quickly, just by way of review, last week we looked at the reality that biblical stewardship is rooted in creation. God made it all. God owns it all. Biblical stewardship reveals your treasure or a lack of biblical stewardship reveals your treasure. And so what we're striving to do is cultivate uh, our heavenly treasure. I'll say more about that today. Biblical stewardship is empowered by faith. We looked at Hebrews chapter 11 without faith. Verse six, it is impossible to please God. That means it's actually possible to give in faith, and it's actually possible to give that's not flowing from faith, right? So, I mean, there's, there are always ditches on both sides of the roads here we have to, to guard against. Biblical stewardship is a primary means for cultivating wisdom, right? Wisdom is cultivated, right? We're turning over the soil when we apply the things that we hear and know from God's Word. I always try to think about the word know, I'm not going to go into this in much detail, but the word no, uh, when we talk about this biblically, we're, we're talking about the concept of understanding something cognitively in our mind, right? We understand the facts about what the Bible teaches. We understand it, we begin to understand it in our heart as we believe it, as we believe God, and we understand it through our volition or our actions as we begin to put it into practice. It really requires all three to, to be the biblical concept of, of knowing something, right? Someone can know that God is holy. Someone can know that Jesus came, was fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life on this earth, and gave his life for the sacrifice of sinners to pay our debt, our sin debt. But just knowing it isn't enough. Bible says Satan knows. Satan knows and he trembles. Right? So, so just knowing it with our mind isn't enough. Knowing it with our mind and saying that we believe it in our hearts is not enough. It must be carried out through our volition or through our will or through our, our decision making and our lifestyle. If it's not connecting in all three areas, we have to ask, do we really know it? Do we really know it in the true biblical sense of the word in terms of walking in known fellowship with the Lord in these ways, right? Last week we saw that stewardship is about all of life. And so this week we're going to see that biblical stewardship is primarily about money. Remember the, the little game I told you I used to play with youth group uh, years ago where we tied the balloon around everybody's ankles and walk around and trying to you know, the person who won the game is the one who had the, 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 the balloon remaining on their ankle, right? Some people don't care about the game itself. They don't really care about winning. They're just like, this is my chance to go step on everybody's toes, right? Well, today, maybe again, might, might feel a little bit like that game today, but, but it's all good. I mean, I say that jestfully. I almost don't want to make that joke, but uh, because it really is a desire to help each and every one of us experience, to know God's fullest blessing in your life as we cultivate biblical stewardship. Now, what we often do, I'm getting ahead of myself, I can tell already. What we often do here is we talk about giving financially to the Lord, right? And we hear phrases that are true phrases, mind you. 
But we often come at it from a man-centered viewpoint. We hear phrases like, oh, you can never outgive God. Right? We even come at it often from the standpoint of saying, you need to give to the Lord and he will bless you. Well, all of these things are true. All these things are true. But we're going to come back to some basics this morning that we need to give because God owns it. Period. When we walk in faith, we experience the blessing of knowing open fellowship with God. So there is blessing. But for me to tell you, oh, you can't outgive God, which is a true statement. But do you see where the we're setting the, the motivation? Right? It's not entirely wrong, but we're setting the motivation on what we get. Often in possessions or or monetarily. I want to say you get more of Jesus. You get more of fellowship with God. I've heard people say, well, we shouldn't come into the church and and ask for God to give us things. I I disagree with that. I think we should come into the church and say, Jesus, God, I need more of you. I need more of you. I need more faith. I need you to give me more faith so I can walk in faith. I'll do my best by your grace with the help of the body of Christ clinging to your word to put the faith that you give me into practice. But I need more from you, God. I need more of you, Lord. Help me know you more. Help me experience you more as I live this life. So this week, it's primarily about money. It's, it's kind of like often we talk about fasting. And sometimes we talk about fasting. It's a good Christian discipline, a good Christian practice. And sometimes we go from talking about fasting to talking about fasting things like social media. Or maybe it's a hobby that you need to fast. Or maybe you need to fast from uh, from TV or something that you you know consume a lot of your time with. Or maybe it's a person you kind of need to fast from for a for a season, right? Now, spouses, don't go home. Be like, hey, Pastor Matt gave me a great idea this week. I think I need a fast from you. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about fasting, the Bible primarily is talking about fasting from food. Why? Because when our physical body feels hunger pains, like legitimate real hunger pains, we're reminded, God, I'm hungry and I want food right now. But you know what, God? I want you more. All right. Jesus says to his disciples, they're, they're, they're worried about Jesus. Lord, don't don't you need to go eat? And he says, Oh, I've got food that you don't know anything about. I've got, I've got my father. I've got fellowship with the father. And when those hunger pains come, I'm pressing into the Lord in prayer. I'm not just like crossing my fingers and trying to like get through it. Right. I mean, I mean, that's a reality at times too, but, but what we do is we redirect our thinking there to say, As much as I want or crave this right now, I want you more, Lord. And so that's the idea, a spiritual hunger for God, which satisfies in greater ways than any physical food can. And so the similar idea is when we're talking about stewardship, where the Bible talks about money, right? You might say uh, we're going for the juggler today, but uh, we're going for the aorta today. We're going for your heart. That's what Jesus is always after, your heart. The Bible is very plain when the Bible talks about money because our hearts are bound up. Our hearts and our wallets and our motives and our loves are, are all bound up together. And God is after your heart. I just want to ask you this morning, do you believe that to be the case? Do you, do you maybe even take a minute before you answer? Do you, do you believe that when God gives you commands, when God gives you, I'm just going to say commands, when God says, this is how you need to live, are you, do you believe that God is kind of secretly taking away something from you that you will like more than him? That is to say, do you believe that God is trying to take away that which is best for you, which is knowing him more and more as you walk in faith. Do you know 16 of Jesus's 38 parables deal with how to handle money and possessions? 
It's just a couple shy of half of them. In the Gospels, one of out of every, every 10 verses, 288 verses deal with money directly. So it's going to be a long sermon. <laughs> the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses about money and possessions. We, uh, you know, many of you know that we, we got a new church app earlier in the year. And um, for those of you who give electronically, we're, we've kept our Breeze app and we're, we're maintaining our, our electronic giving uh, in, in the Breeze app uh, through the end of this calendar year. Um, and uh, January 1st, all giving will be done through the planning center, uh, the church, church center. I'm sorry, you guys know it as church center app. And uh, what's nice for you, you'll have to do your initial account setup. You guys shop online, so you know how to do all that. But, uh, you know, there will be a link right in your church center app. It'll take you to the same place. But as Amy was working to get a bunch of that set up this week, um, they were trying to help a church kind of calculate um, uh, what tier, you know, we need to set up for the church and things like that. And uh, there are a lot of statistics about this, and statistics are often about how you Look at it, I know that. But uh, 17% of churchgoers, 17% of churchgoers give. Of that 17%, 2% give about 10% of what God has given them. Those are pretty significant statistics. I could line them up, as a matter of fact. We could go from source to source. Uh, some t- statistics are a little bit higher. Um, none of them paint a, a, a positive picture for God's people, right? And that doesn't mean that's the exact statistics of those in this room. But just generally speaking, that's kind of what they say about us. I want you to know that I don't know how much or how little anyone gives here in the church. Although I will say that is sometimes this sort of kind of false rule that we have sort of uh, adopted. Many have adopted. My giving is a private thing. It's between me and God. And nobody else should know about it. Right? I want to tell you that that's not anywhere in Scripture except where the Lord says to the person, right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But the motive there is don't flaunt it. Don't give so that you might be seen by others. There's nothing that says nobody can know what anyone else gives now i'm not out to change that we're not introducing any new church policies things are going to keep moving along like they are right there and right here and and so i'm not after to change that the reason i mention is the reason i mention it is this Uh, money is an aspect of a person's life that is part of how we might know how to disciple people better in other words, if somebody's not serving in the church, that's often plain to see. If someone is not in biblical community in the church, outside of coming to church on Sunday morning, not in any other sort of fellowship throughout the week, that is often, I use the word often intentionally, because sometimes things are going on that I don't know about, we don't know about, and that's great. But it's often a, a way that we can know how we might come alongside of someone. If somebody has the gift, the spiritual gift of giving, that's different from every Christian's responsibility, or really every human's responsibility, but especially Christians, to give 10% out of your gross to the Lord through the local church, which is like the baseline for giving. Um, then we don't 
Oh, what was I talking about? Oh, I was talking about those who have the gift of the spiritual gift of giving. Some some of you have the spiritual. It's a gift of yours. God has blessed you in that way with an, ex, an extra or extreme joy in giving financially to meet needs. And sometimes that can be a way that elders can come alongside of and shepherd someone. If someone has the spiritual gift of teaching, we can come alongside of that individual. We can help them learn how to teach. We can help them learn how to study the word. We can help them learn how to present the word in ways that can be helpful, ways that can be memorable for people. But if everything as it relates to finances and giving is is sort of like locked in this box that no, nobody nobody else can know, it, it can present a challenge for how to come alongside people and disciple people, especially as it comes to financial living. People people uh, have struggles with finances. Sometimes there's struggles with finances, and sometimes someone's financial life is just a mess, a wreck. Well, I'm going to ask questions about giving. I care less about the dollar amounts and more about, are you obeying what God says in the Bible about giving? Let's just start like brass tacks, first things first. Do you have a pattern of obedient living established in your heart before the Lord? Now, depending on someone's, you know, understanding of the gospel and and how to follow the Lord, that may or may not be the first question I ask, and I'll ask it in some more sensitive ways or more tender ways at times. But you see what I'm getting at. There is this sort of uh, silent agreement we've all sort of made that nobody else is supposed to know. And again... I'm not here to change that as much as I am here to call attention to it. And the more I talk about it, I'm curious if that makes you uncomfortable. And if that makes you uncomfortable, why might that make you uncomfortable? Now, let's get back to our uh, hypothetical here. If we were to, to publicize what everyone gave or didn't give, I bet we would see some strong emotions flaring up in here. Some pretty strong passions flaring up in this room, right? We're laughing about it kind of a little bit of an uncomfortable tension here when I talk about that. Again, it's not part two of the sermon. It's not part of the plan. It's not something we ever plan on doing. I'm highlighting it because... we might be more passionate about someone who might say, hey, let's just throw up our giving on the, on the, on the uh, you know, everybody's income and everybody's giving on the church screen, and let's just talk about how we can help each other in this. There might be more passion about what's revealed than more passion about what steps you need to take to grow in your walk with the Lord in these areas. You see what I'm getting at? All I'm doing, all I'm doing is drawing attention to the areas where we tend to get a little fierce and feisty. You know, where we, Mother Bear comes out to guard our hearts, maybe guard our pride. Right? There can be some wonderful reasons why we don't want to see that data displayed. Right? Some really, really wonderful reasons. And again, right, it's, it's not part of uh, this morning's message. Right? So, so as, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I, I like to make eye contact with people this morning. You know? Well, every time I preach, I make eye contact with people. You know? And it's, it's uncanny the number of times, this isn't me, this is just how the Lord works, when uh, people will come up to me and say, man, I thought you were talking right to me this morning. I'm like, I was. And they're like, what? <laughs> right? So if I make eye contact with you when I say a certain phrase this morning, and you feel like some conviction or something, just know that's from the Lord, right? It's likely from the Lord and something that you ought to pay attention to. If you just look at me and smile real big all morning, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, they're given. Oh, they're given. Oh, they're given. Right? I'm not trying to size you up this morning. I really don't care. I really don't care. I care about your heart. And I care about your obedience to the Lord. I don't care about dollar amounts. We're not preaching a stewardship season because the church is in a financially hard place. We need to talk about these things that affect our discipleship. The Bible talks about it as much as anything, and we need to as well. So small, big, you can fool me, but you won't fool God. All right? And if we want God to do business with each of our hearts 
here this morning. You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, toward the end of Philippians, shares part of his own personal testimony. And he's talking about how, uh, well, he in particular, but how Christians must cultivate love for heavenly treasure. Christians must cultivate love for heavenly treasure. And so he's, he's sharing from his own personal testimony here in Philippians chapter 4, and he says that con- contentment is essentially something that needs to be learned, right? In other words, if we're, talking about, if we're talking about cultivating contentment, we need to turn over the soil in our hearts, which means we need to do some things that are uncomfortable. We need to, we need to root out some of, the, some of the weeds that are in our lives and in our hearts. Listen to what he says to this Philippian church. It's a, it's a point of thanksgiving at the end of this wonderful letter. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Notice the direction of his praise. I rejoice in the Lord for you. I rejoice in the Lord for your partnership in the gospel. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in in whatever I'm sorry, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right? that's, not a, that's not a football verse or a stadium verse. It's a stewardship verse. It's a, it's a verse that talks about enjoying life in Christ, knowing that you can endure anything through Christ who gives you the strength to endure. And he says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Do you see that? Not, not, no other churches were partnering financially with me in the proclamation of the gospel, and I was okay. I was trusting in Christ. The Lord provided for me. Help me learn how to be content in every situation. But you are. You're you're partnering with me now that there's a need. And I'm thankful for that. Because I'm thankful to God for what you're receiving as a result of it. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me also greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Pastor Randy Pope says, everything in your life is a trust to you so that you can participate with God in the growth of his kingdom. He goes on to say, stewardship is yet perhaps, I'm sorry, is is perhaps the most revealing spiritual assessment issue that there is. It's a domino effect. If you're willing to follow Christ in the arena of money management, then other lesser issues fall into place. But if there is no lack of surrender regarding stewardship, it becomes a significant obstacle to your spiritual growth. In other words, if you are not living in faith-filled obedience regarding financial stewardship, and again, I'm just kind of going back to that base of 10% of our growth. I'm saying that because we often try to approach this topic with such a, a tenderness, with such a desire not to offend anyone, that we pull back from 
the idea of the tithe, which just means a tenth. Right? We, we change the language to giving, which in one sense I'm okay with, but when Jesus came, he said, I haven't come to... I've come, he said, I've come to fulfill the law. I haven't come to do away with any part of it. And if you take this principle with what he takes about things like uh, adultery, if you lust in your heart after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you hate someone in your heart, you've murdered them in your heart. And so he's not doing away with it. Maybe he's doing away with the ritual of how the tithe is brought to the Lord. But the principle of giving flows from the standpoint that the tithe, the tenth is, it's the foundation, it's the base And so we need to learn through progress. We need to learn through failure. We need to learn through trusting the Lord in new and deeper ways over and over again. He says, I, I have learned the secret to being content. You know what that means? It means there were times when Paul wasn't content. He had to learn in, in plenty to be content with Christ. Because when you have plenty, it's easy to be content with plenty. And often we've heard it over and over and over again from very wealthy down to those who maybe have plenty, but we wouldn't necessarily consider them wealthy, although everyone in, in here is, is wealthy on a world stage. Every one of us. And you hear people get to the end of their life and there's an aching not because they're wealthy, because many a godly man and woman have been wealthy and been very content in Christ and glorified God with their with their finances. All right. So this isn't a this isn't a, a a way to talk about not having much. No, that's the Lord who decides that. But it's whatever we have. Remember the widow's might. She didn't have much. But she gave it to the Lord joyfully. Remember, I said the Lord's after our aorta today. He's after our, our heart in this. Do you find yourself complaining about your job situation or your people or your family, your situation in your life? Brothers and sisters, the Lord is using everything in your life and in my life to train us in how to become content in him and in him alone. And the reward of that is that when we are giving generously to the Lord is we see people coming to be saved. That happens through our missions giving as a church that gives 10% of what, we, of what comes in as we give to the missions the following year. But it happens in other ways too as we're able to create and cultivate environment, or I'm sorry, to, to, to foster, create environments and, and resources to help you grow in Christ. A lot of different ways here. And Paul's highlight is that he's interested in the fruit that increases to their account. He's like, I'm taken care of, I'm good. I'm content in Christ. The Lord provides for me. I want you to receive the joy of what increases to your credit from the Lord by being faithful stewards as you cultivate wisdom through biblical stewardship. And then the promise, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need you have will be supplied for. You know, I, I've wrestled with that uh, in our personal finances at times thinking, man, we've got these needs, and I don't feel like every, every need we have, okay, maybe technically need, is provided for. But you know, then I look at my life and I say, How, what have I done with what God's given me? Have I made unwise choices seeking something that I want over that which I need? So maybe it's not actually that the Lord didn't provide for me. I know he has every day of my life. But maybe I... In a season of plenty, it didn't save for a season of drought, to use an overstatement. Right? 
By the way, that's not a complaint. It's always tough to talk about personal finances as a pastor because I don't ever mean that to come across as complaining. The church has always taken care of us and always very graciously. What I'm saying is I wrestle with the sin of not always using everything wisely and therefore feeling like when certain things come up, I am not provided for or taken care of by the Lord. But I know in an instant that that's not true because the Lord's after my aorta too. My heart in the matters as well. And so we need to, we need to see this reality clearly. We need to press on to Christ-like maturity and faith as wholehearted followers of Christ by cultivating love for heavenly treasure. So I want to ask you even this morning, what is a way that you need to cultivate heavenly, a love for heavenly treasure? Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Next point, the love of money is the enemy of contentment. And it is the enemy of your joy in the Lord. So when Paul is writing to Timothy, who's who he's training in the faith, he's writing about those who are those who are seeing ministry. And I use the air quotes here. Uh, life in Christian service or teaching, quote unquote, truth, which is in this context is actually false truth. And he's he's challenging him and he warns, he says, about false teachers who are going to come in. They're going to see a perverted form of this, quote unquote, air quotes, ministry. They're going to be looking like they're striving to teach truth to people, but they're actually, they have an unhealthy craving for two things he points out. Controversy, quarrels, and money. I guess that's three things. There's actually a list of things that it causes. But picking up in verse 6, he says, but... Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the contrast to a perception or a visual persona of godliness that's after the wrong things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, while these things with these things will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many seamless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Listen to this phrase. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Remember I said earlier, this is not about how much money you make or how much money you have. That's up to the Lord to decide. And he blesses some with great wealth. Praise God for that. He blesses some with just enough to get by. Praise God for that. Because he's all wise. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many fangs. So let's review some biblical principles here, and I'm going to move through these kind of quickly here. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It leads some to abandon the faith, which means they never were in the faith, just to be clear. The faith never took root in their heart. It never bore eternally lasting fruit, and they wandered away from the faith. The parable of the sower tells us it would be like because of the cares of the world that choked it out. If you're in the faith, you're always in the faith because you're in the faith only because of Christ, only through faith. You can't come into the faith through Christ and remain in the faith on your own effort. Christ sustains us. The tithe, in one sense, isn't even really a gift. It's just the expectation that what God gives, we give a tenth of. Right? By God's definition... A gift is above and beyond the tithe. Right? I said earlier, the word tithe is literally translated tenth. And so that's the tenth of one's first fruits. That's why I said gross income, because we typically think of as a before taxes or after taxes and all that kind of stuff. Well, what do you make? Take a tenth of it. The math is pretty easy. Move the decimal. And there you have it. I can't afford a tithe. Then you've forgotten whose you are. 
you've forgotten whose it is. You can't afford not to tithe. Hear me. You can't afford not to tithe. I remember a book from years ago. Too busy not to pray. I don't have time to pray. No, you're too busy not to pray. You must be in prayer. You must give of the first fruits to the Lord. That's what God says. And so we can designate gifts, sure, over and above. Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to give to the church, but I want my money to go here. No. You give a tenth. If you want to give above and beyond that, then that's a conversation to have. But we give a tenth to the local church out of love for God and out of recognition of what he has given us and the fact that all of it is his. Right? Sometimes people say, well, if I don't, this doesn't happen this way, I'm going to stop giving to the church. So you'd rather use money that is God's money, you being the steward, as a bargaining chip to get what you want. I've heard of spouses times use intimacy transactionally. Well, if he'll do this, if she'll do this, then we can be intimate again. No. We love each other. We give ourselves to each other out of grace and out of love that supersedes our own desires. Out of love for the Lord, we love each other. And God has designed us to express that love intimately with one another. Say, well, I'll forgive them when they... Okay, so transactional forgiveness. I would just bring that same principle over into giving and ask, are you giving transactionally? Well, if this happens in church, I'll start giving again. The church feels the effect of that. But you bear the brunt of that in your joy or in your lack of joy, in maybe your bitterness or whatever the case might be. I don't want to run down that path too far, but it's a real path. It's a real path to to walk through the tall grass of these areas of lack of faithfulness, lack of biblical stewardship in our lives. We need to walk through that tall grass with a sickle. And not just chop things down, but start uprooting these desires. Because, brothers and sisters, you're after your desires. The question is, do you desire what God desires? And that is what it means to cultivate heavenly treasure. Malachi tells us not to 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 to, uh, to to not tithe or not give out of our first fruits is to steal from God because the tithe is His by ownership. And, and I, I mean, the tithe, everything is God's by ownership. We've established that, but God sets out this principle in the Old Testament, and it carries through even though the language changes. It becomes about just doing the minimum or the bare bones to get by to what it's like to live a life of generosity, right? We give to the local church and then maybe you give above and beyond that if the Lord puts that in your heart. Or maybe you're giving to your neighbor to help with a tangible need. Or maybe you're, you're giving to a parachurch ministry, But we need to stop thinking about the local church as a a place where we're donating. A place where we're we're giving back. We don't give back to God. He owns it. It's his. The question is whether or not you and I recognize that it is his. 
God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our sacrifices. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for the fullness of the earth is mine. I don't know where I heard this recently. So I'm just saying I didn't come up with it. But I heard someone say recently, you know when I'll start to worry? When the birds worry. I was like, that's good. I'm going to steal that. But I said it wasn't mine, so I didn't steal it. Just using it. You know when we need to worry? When God's not taking of his care of his creation. You see the birds of the air? They don't worry. They don't want. But the Lord... The Lord provides for each and every one of them from his rich supply. Acts 17, 24 through 27, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything, since he himself, that's a strong point of emphasis, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Back to your aorta. We know we're not talking about the physical heart that's beating in our chest. But it is at times kind of a message that feels like we're going for the juggler. Like, and you're trying to take me out with this one. No, no, brothers and sisters, I want to revive, help revive your spirit by bringing the truth of God's word so you have the right medicine to deal with what ails you. God is after your heart. If we'll get our hearts right, which always is followed by actions, we will find our joy to be greater in the Lord. Since he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from any one of us. All that you and I have is God's by ownership, right? We, we were bought with a price. Think about our, our salvation. We were, we were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us. He bought us with the price of his life. Everything that we have, our very lives themselves, are the Lord's. Jesus makes some pretty strong statements here. He says in Luke 14, 33, none of you can be my disciples who doesn't give up all of his own possessions. Now that's hyperbole. It doesn't mean that we're having a garage sale after church. And everybody needs to go home and skip Christmas decorations after church, which, by the way, if you want some amazing local fast pizza, stay and help us put up some Christmas decorations and beautify this place uh, for the Christmas season that's coming up. And um, and we'll bless it with pizza, which may not bless you physically later, but we'll enjoy the time together and beautify this facility. What he's saying is, it's similar to when Jesus says, he who doesn't love me more than his own family. If you don't hate your mother, brother, father, sister, he doesn't actually want us to to hate our family. He wants us to love him so much that it seems as though they're just a distant memory in the rear view. Because we're so caught up with loving Jesus. Jesus speaking to the rich man, he says, I mean, looking at him, and he felt the love for this rich man. Did you, hear, did you hear that? Jesus felt love for this rich man. And he said, there's one thing that you lack after this guy was just like beating his chest. One thing you lack, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Mark ten twenty one. Is it Jesus' desire that we're financially in ruin? No. But could it be, 
as one pastor wisely asked, could it be that we've maybe gotten it all wrong and we think that the possessions and the security, quote unquote, that we feel from money or possessions is the wrong way of looking at that we've gotten it all upside down. Thinking that God's desire should be to bless us with possessions. The greatest love, aside from his own love to you, is to bless you, listen, with greater love for him. The greatest blessing that God could give you in all of eternity is greater love for him. And that requires a cultivating. It requires turning over the soil. You, you may remember the man went away sad. Why? He loved his stuff. Not Jesus. Jesus asked the man to give up his possessions precisely because Jesus loved the man. Now listen, Jesus wants us to understand the principle of cultivating wisdom, which is knowledge that's put into practice through biblical stewardship precisely because he loves you and he wants to help you learn how to love him more. There's no pastoral financial hidden agenda in here. In the same way that, that I would tell you and myself sitting right there in one of these chairs and say, if you have bitterness in your heart toward someone, it will eat you alive and it will tear you down. You must deal with bitterness. In fact, Jesus cared so little about money as it comes to offerings that he says, there, go, leave your gift at the altar. Go and make it right with someone who has something against you. Well, I don't have something against them. Well, if you know that they have something against you, leave your gift at the altar Go make it right, then come back and offer your gift. It's almost like that. Hey, why don't you just leave your gift here and then go work on making it right? And he said, no, 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 don't come and offer me offerings when you know there's something amiss in your life, something amiss relationally in your life. I want to close with a prayer. This third point will be punctuated and it'll be brief it's a prayer for contentment leading to faithful stewardship of your finances you could also broaden it to say faithful stewardship for all of life two things i ask of you deny them not to me before i die now listen to these two things. I think we might have it on the slides. Lord, remove from me falsehood and lying. That's one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Do you hear that prayer? What a wonderful prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I don't know where you are this morning. The prayer is not, not about wealth, really. It's about a, a man who says, God, I want to have enough of what you, I want. Really, I want what you want for me. So that I can do with great joy 
and sacrificial living that which you've called me to do. Lord, I'm not seeking great wealth because I know that if you give me some of the things that are the greatest desires of my heart, I might forget you. Before we had children, uh, one of the pastors at my last church said, you know, I read something. It's probably the greatest parenting tip I've ever received, and it was this. Find something that your children want and never give it to them. You're welcome, guys. (laughs) No, not out of a desire to bring misery to them, but out of a desire to say, we need to learn that we we don't always get everything. We know when it comes to holidays or birthdays or presents, it's not even Stephen all the time. If I'm away on a trip, I might bring something back for one of the guys and not both of them so they can learn to rejoice with someone else who got something. I might also try to flip that next time. But you see the principle? Lord, don't, don't, don't give me too much of what I think I want. I know that wouldn't be good for me. But, but also help me see that you are giving me exactly what I need. So that I don't, I'm not tempted to act out sinfully. I'm sure that on a morning like this, hopefully every time we open God's word, the Lord is pricking your heart in how these principles of cultivating wisdom through biblical stewardship apply to you. I know they apply to me. As one who has the privilege of getting up and preaching God's word week in and week out, don't you think for a second I come up here and do this because I've got all these things figured out. My wife and I have plenty of our own struggles. I just say that to be real with you because it's true. I don't want to be a hypocrite either. I pray that I'm not. This isn't about the church budget. What's it about? Your your aorta, your heart. 